Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast with Jane Rogers, where we discuss science to help prevent cognitive decline. I have made a very personal decision, and I'd like to share it with you. My gut's flora is messed up. I have too much bad bacteria and not enough good. And my gut's been that way for years due to too much antibiotic use. And so I've decided to get a fecal microbiota transplant, FMT for short. I'm going to fly to the UK to get this done because in the US, fecal transplants are only approved for C. diff, which is a gnarly bacteria that causes diarrhea and inflammation of the colon. In today's episode, I share the conversation I had with the director of the Taymount Clinic in Hertfordshire, England, Dr. Enid Taylor. That's the clinic where I'll be getting the poop of 10 different healthy donors over a two-week period to help reconstruct my intestines. Enid, thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me, Jane. Thank you. You're welcome. So I am very excited to virtually meet you because next month I get to meet you in person when I have my own fecal microbiota transplant. Yes, you're coming to good old England, so it'd be nice to welcome you. (laughs) You're getting a lot of people like me from America, aren't you? I understand about one a week. We always have had a lot of American visitors coming to the clinic since we started in 2010, 11. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the FDA made it very popular because they banned it in America. So that always guarantees that there's something really good about it, I think. Forgive me for being a little bit cynical, but um, if it was inconsequential and didn't do anything, then it wouldn't have garnered that attention from them. So the fact that they decide to um, to withdraw it from public access, I think, says that there's something really special about this. And certainly in the early days, we were horrified by people doing it sort of casually and without any kind of medical training. I won't even go into the horror mm-hmm. stories, but there were some awful things going on. And we did contact our MHRA, which is like the equivalent of your FDA, that stands for Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Authority. And they just didn't want to know. They actually used the term, there's an ick factor. So they didn't like what they were hearing and they just said it's some weird therapy. So fast forward five years and they realized that Number one, it's not hurting people. Number two, it's actually making people well. The rates of improvement for things like Clostridium difficile was just too difficult to ignore. They were getting 68% in trials and we get 100%. So they decided that, well, if this is working and it's not hurting people, then we have to own this as a medicine. So they declared that FMT was a medicine. So we then had to get completely compliant with the production of the implant itself. So we had to get GMP, which I think is globally recognized as good manufacturing practice. And the documentary paperwork that goes with that is a nightmare. And then we had to split the clinic from the production facility because you can't produce something and then use it in the same company because it's a conflict of interest. So we had to split the company into two, create a new entity called the clinic. And then because the clinic could only access the implants by way of a prescription from a physician, we couldn't access our own implants unless we had a doctor, a medical doctor in residence on the payroll. And then that meant the clinic had to be CQC, which is Care Quality Commission regulated and registered. Mm -hmm. So we've been through five years of paperwork horror. (laughs) And I've gone from being a naturopath to being a civil servant, I think. (laughs) 
Oh, no. It has been very tiring, just jumping through the hoops that regulators want you to jump through. For my own self, it's taken me away from patients. and It's put me in an office with paperwork rather than in a, a clinic with people. So that's grieved me a little. But now that we've actually got those compliances in place, I'm kind of finding myself again. And I'm back to making kombucha and making coconut yogurt and giving people advice on sprouting and and literally talking food again, which is where my love really lies. My passion is about health through diet. I'm glad you're getting back to what you're passionate about, what you love to do. (laughs) Absolutely. 10 years ago, I was a raw food, 100% raw food foodie. Mm -hmm. And I did lots of raw food workshops and promoted it that way and did a lot of teaching. And then I don't know why, for some reason, I kind of drifted away from it. And like a lot of people, I had COVID last summer and Mm. I was very, very Mm. ill again at Christmas. It looked like another COVID, but it didn't test positive. So I don't know what that was, a chest infection. And by February, I thought, I'm really just not feeling very good. And I just remembered all the raw food recipes that I'd had, I'd built up. And I dived back into them. So from March this year, I've been 100% Mm. raw. And I feel so different. It's got my, my passions come back. Oh, good. So good. that's how, to me, it demonstrates how, how important it is um, what we're feeding ourselves. Excellent. Food isn't just something you build your body from. Food is what fuels your, your heart, your soul, your passion. Enid, tell us why there's such a difference in what we can do in the United States and what you can do in the UK when it comes to fecal transplants. You can do much more with people with an irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis, for example? Um, Yeah, we have to be very, very, very careful what we say. That's the only thing. We can be in terrible trouble if we make any claims. The MHRA was very strict with us. We, Mm. We had to take off all the patient testimonials from our website because their opinion was that by showing testimonials, it was steering people who might have the same condition to come and try. When there are no global statistics for any particular condition but right now all over the world there are clinical trials going on for ulcerative colitis crohn's Mm -hmm. and a lot of other conditions i think alzheimer's and parkinson's particularly are being studied so when those studies are in and the results can be shared then we can make Mm -hmm. more sort of specific suggestions so we can't have anything on the website that might suggest that if you've got IBS, come and see us. If you've got ulcerative colitis, come and see us. We cannot say that. I understand. Mm-hmm. But we can't even publish papers that have been peer-reviewed because our very selection of which ones we're showing is mm-hmm. an advertisement. So I think in the States, mm-hmm. you're allowed to advertise medical processes and, mm-hmm. and medicines. I mean, watching your TV there are adverts for, for prescription-only drugs that we can't get, but it's freely advertised in the state. So I think mm-hmm. you have much more awareness of what's available, but it may not be necessarily more accessible, mm-hmm. whereas we have the accessibility, but we can't tell people we're here. So I won't ask you those questions, but I'll ask you some you can answer easily. So fecal microbiota transplants. That, for a lot of people, will say, you know, that's poop. No. Horrible. First of all, tell me about it. Is it is it an ick factor? Well, when we first started, it didn't have a name, so we called it bacteriotherapy. Oh, and we were quite comfortable with that term. But then a couple of years later, a group of doctors get together, and they, being doctors, they were very literal. It's microbiota, which means a microscopic world, and it comes from feces, so it's fecal, and we put it in from one body to another, so it's a transplant. Well, technically, yes, but if they had a PR guy in the room, he'd have said, no, 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 don't call it that. (laughs) 
And if they'd called it gut flora restoration or lower intestinal gut flora restoration, something like that, it would be more acceptable. So I like the term gut flora restoration because people know what gut flora is and they know what restoration means. But you start saying transplant and people think, ooh, stuff from somebody else, rejection. It's a whole different mindset. So it's a very badly named process. So yes, we wish we had a different name for it. So tell me how this process works. What am I going to go through when I'm there? I'm there for two weeks. Okay, you're there for two weeks. Um, Well, first of all, it is very, very quick and utterly painless. In fact, you can hardly feel it. Mm -hmm. It takes two minutes to administer the actual 60 mil solution. We use a pediatric catheter, so it's soft silicon designed for babies, so our big bottoms are going to tolerate it without a problem, our grown-up bottoms. And literally, it takes about two minutes to introduce the catheter gently, deliver the solution, and then withdraw. Mm -hmm. It is utterly painless. We then have you lying in three different positions just to get gravity to sort of help the fluid to to occupy your colon. So you have 10 minutes laying on your back, 10 minutes laying on your side, and then 10 minutes sitting up. The therapist does a kind of gentle squeegee action just to help things distribute, but we don't want to disturb the colon. We don't want to massage or stimulate. We want to keep everything just just slow and accepting. Mm -hmm. And then during that sort of resting period, it's an ideal time to talk to your therapist. You've got 35, 30, 40 minutes, just one-to-one. Some people like to be left alone to just drift away. Mm-hmm. And you'll find in the, in the clinic rooms there's some lovely murals so you can just disappear into the horizon. We've cut, I think, a lovely compromise between clinical standard of cleanliness and a little bit of spirituality with some nice murals and somewhere to be mentally, some soft music. And the clinic smells nice too. So we've tried to address the senses to kind of put you at ease mm-hmm. because stress is the number one enemy for most things. Mm-hmm. And if you're stressed, your body won't accept and tolerate and relax well enough. So it's all about just making you feel looked after. Thank you. Good. And in that time with the therapist, you can talk about diet, what to do to feed these new microbes. Mm-hmm. And we have a very, very simple approach to diet. We don't give people diet sheets and we don't give lots of food programs. We just try and say that the most important thing is diversity. What you feed your microbiota on will dictate how many you keep. So we're going to give you 10 different donors from 10 different days. Mm -hmm. So somewhere Mm -hmm. in that 10 is going to be everything we hope that you need. And some you will keep and retain and some you will just let fall by the wayside Mm -hmm. because your lifestyle won't match all of those 10 people. Mm -hmm. But the trick to having a healthy microbiome is to have a wide diversity. My husband, Glenn, together we sort of started this clinic. He's the microbiologist. He kept saying, diversity on the plate equals diversity in the gut. And he said it so many times. I had the letters printed in vinyl and it's on the clinic wall. You'll see it when you go in there. So the more diverse your foodstuffs, the more different species you will maintain. And the the diversity is the key to health. Mm -hmm. So we give you a sheet, a grid, a sort of a wipe clean grid with 50 squares, a special magic pen. And we say, write in each square the ingredient of what you're eating. Mm -hmm. For example, if you have toast and marmalade for breakfast, you would write wheat for the toast, yeast, butter, sugar, and oranges. Mm -hmm. And then comes sort of lunchtime you maybe have a cheese sandwich but you've done wheat you've done yeast you've done butter oh you can put the cheese down Mm -hmm. and then in the evening you have 
pasta and tomato sauce. A lot of people do. So it's wheat again. Oh, let's put tomatoes. So you think you're eating a wide variety of foods, but it often boils down to the same sort of 20, 21 foods. And if you go and sit somewhere in some of the fast food joints, and I've been in trouble from mentioning names, so I won't mention names, but any fast food joint, it's quite fun to look at the menu and just see how many squares you could fill in from that whole menu. And one in particular that I visited, I got to 19 foods, and that was including the desserts as well. It's not enough. That's not enough. Um, there was a very famous okay. anthropologist, and he did some studies with um, Tanzanian tribes who haven't been infected by our modern living, the Hadza tribe. Mm-hmm. And he found that they were eating something like 150 different foods in a month. And that's where I got the idea from. I thought, well, how about 15 a week? See if you can make 15 a week because we've got supermarkets. These poor people had to walk miles to find cherries and berries and roots. We've got supermarkets, so how about 50 a week? And that's where the idea came from. It's a good idea. And it looks simple. And, of course, it's a bit sneaky because you're never on or off a diet. So if you're filling in your food grid and then your friend comes around, she's got a bottle of something sparkling and she's got some chocolates... Well, you can enjoy the drink and you can enjoy the chocolates and fill in your grid. So grapes, yeast, mm-hmm. I've done yeast already. Um, chocolate, I've done sugar, milk. Oh, cocoa, so I'll put the cocoa down. Mm-hmm. So you can fill in your grid with your little indulgence. Treats. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, you're not going to say, I'm off the diet, I'll just eat what I like. You're never on or off. You are still tracking your diversity. So mm-hmm. it's not something you can fall off Mm -hmm. or stick to with discipline it's just a record and the sneaky bit is that you and I both know that the greatest diversity the greatest number of different types of food is found in the vegetable and fruit kingdom so without telling people to eat 10 a day of your fruits and veggies or five a day no rules at all we just give them the grid and we know that if they eat lots of meat and cheese and eggs and all the rest of it they'll fill the top row and then they've got to start looking in fruits and vegetables to get the variety in there. Great idea. No, no, no rules. And where there are no rules, there's no, no resistance and there's no rejection. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like trying to keep people aware of their eating without them feeling that they're being controlled mm-hmm. or rule-based. So it doesn't need to get broken. So that was the basis behind it. I have actually written a book to go with it. So you'll get one of those when you come to the Excellent. clinic. So... One of the things I'm nervous about, and if I tell anyone I'm going to get a fecal transplant, they say, is it safe? Yeah. What are the risks? Mm-hmm. How is it screened? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of really important yeah. questions. And how do you answer those? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been doing this for quite a long time now. <laughs> we find that the list of things we're screening for is continually growing. For example, of course, the last two years, we've added mm-hmm. COVID-19 to the list. I mean, finding somebody in the world who had a test that was affordable, that would take fecal material and test it for COVID transmission, that was a six-month project. But of course, we found it now. It's in Germany, so we have to use that. There's been a couple of instances where FMT was carried out on some very, very sick people without being screened for a particular E. coli, which is ESVL, a subspecies of E. coli which is quite dangerous if people are really poorly. So that group, and it is a group, that's now on the list. So as we go through the experience that we're gaining, we are getting more and more refined and more and more sophisticated Mm -hmm. with the testing. So it is as safe as our current knowledge will Mm -hmm. allow us to Mm -hmm. make it. 
And the scrutiny we go through with our regulators every year is second to none. They literally will not allow us to miss anything out or minimize anything. And that certain strain of E. coli, that did not happen Mm. in your lab because you test for that. That happened in an American lab providing fecal material for our C. diff in this country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we looked at their Mm -hmm. screening and they weren't even testing for some of the things that we were already testing for. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is why it's so important to be regulated and why I kick against the documentation, but it's it's what keeps us safe. Mm-hmm. It's about quality and safety, which it's got to be safe. So I can have a peaceful mind about this then. You can indeed. You haven't had problems. My particular path to this, you know, sometimes you, you meet people in alternative and complementary medicine and they've got a particular tragedy to talk about. They've lost a, a parent and they, they didn't know enough to save the parent or whatever. My own journey was my youngest daughter. When she was 19, she developed Crohn's. By the time she was 30, I was just coming to the end of my studies as a naturopath, and she had the worst possible conditions with Crohn's. Crohn's can be moderate, it can be really nasty, you can get fistulating Crohn's where it literally burrows a hole into another part of the body, and she had that going on. And to cut a long story short, she was in hospital and her bowel ruptured, she was pregnant at the time, so of course the baby was lost. Oh, no. She had to have emergency surgery. Mm. They didn't do it quickly enough. Her whole abdomen was full of bacteria. So this is why I say there's no such thing as good bacteria because if it's in the wrong place, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if it's not in your gut and it's actually in your peritoneal cavity, it, it's really bad no matter what its name is. Mm-hmm. So I have watched her get very close to leaving us she woke up with a colostomy bag that she had for two years, so we, we managed that. She had um, the wound dehist, it wouldn't close. So she's had so many problems. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I found a surgeon who would put her all back together again. And then she lost her fallopian tube, so she couldn't conceive naturally. Oh, but no. the end of the story is she's got two beautiful children that they've had through IVF, which has cost her a, a fortune. But, you know, it's got a happy ending. She's totally in remission now. She's settled and she's under control. She's had some FMT. Um, as well. Um, And she's got two beautiful children, aged two and four, who are the absolute apples of my eye. But it meant that it showed me very, very close to home what can go wrong. And I Mm -hmm. learned a great deal from it. And my tragedy was I wasn't ahead of her. I was behind her. And she said to me when she was in ICU, she said, if I had your FMT, I wouldn't be here. I said, yes, but we weren't ready. We weren't ready. Yeah. So oh. it, it is, it's painful, but those kind of lessons you don't forget. And it, the motivation is, is from the inside. You know, it's, it's deeply mm-hmm. inside my, my soul, why we're doing this. And I can understand why people come to the clinic with anything that's wrong with the gut affects the, the whole behavior. It's like when you're sick, you're in your inner child. And you're either mm-hmm. sort of wanting mommy to put her arm around you and say, it's okay, we've got you. Mm-hmm. Or you're having a tantrum because the taxi was late, I couldn't find the clinic, and I can't find my hotel, and where's this? And And you just know that that person is just ill at ease because they're not well. So we train the staff to kind of scoop them up and look after them no matter how they're presenting. Because when your gut's not right, none of you is right. And that's what we have to address. So the Americans that you have come over, like almost once a week, to get (laughs) fecal transplants, the intake person, when I first was looking into this. She said, we cannot believe the antibiotic use in the United States. Right. And I've had it since I was like three and four every single year. And I'm turning 61 in two weeks. 
So my gut is a mess and that's why I'm coming to you. Are you amazed with the amount of antibiotic use we're doing here? And how should we stand up against those those prescriptions? Mm. Well, I think like you, I was on antibiotics since I was tiny. Really? I've had bronchial asthma as a child. And at one point I was given antibiotics prophylactically in case I got a chest infection, let's give us some antibiotics. So Ooh. by the time I got married and I was having my first child, thrush was an everyday occurrence. You know, and it was just part of my life. So I don't think I delivered a very good microbiome to my children anyway, because I didn't have one myself. Mm-hmm. And what they thought was some kind of salpingitis, some kind of fallopian tube infection was actually just my appendix. It was IBS, basically. Mm-hmm. So when I look back on those days with the knowledge we have now, yes, the continual use of antibiotics and the misdiagnosis of I- IBS mm-hmm. was a big problem. And certainly people arriving in their sort of 50s and 60s have struggled with this condition all their lives. And mm-hmm. Often people will be functioning, will be thinking themselves healthy, but the body is on its last reserves, trying to keep you upright and cheerful, when a lot of things are going wrong that are hidden. I wish I had a pound for everybody who said, well, I've been through every test, I've been to see every doctor, and they can't see anything wrong. I've had colonoscopies, I've had endoscopies, Mm -hmm. and they can't find anything. And I just think, can't they make the small leap mentally, that if Mm -hmm. you can't see anything wrong, What's wrong must be invisible, i.e. microscopic. I mean, when you think about how we are conceived and how life itself starts, it starts beneath our vision. It starts invisibly. And if life of a human being, something so profound and so powerful, can start under your visual awareness, it stands to reason that something can be wrong inside of you that is equally invisible but equally powerful. But they don't seem to make that leap from the visible, the measurable, the machine registrable to something that may be so important but is not physically visible. And I'm I'm a little bit sort of frustrated as to why they can't make that simple that leap. Mm -hmm. If I can't see it, then it must be microbiological. So this just speaks right to me. I, I understand this and I understand why I'm going and why I've made the decision to get the fecal transplant. Talk to this audience about the financial component of this, because it's it's an investment. It's not a cheap treatment. It's not um, an inexpensive mm-hmm. procedure. I would say that it's probably about the same price now as it was 10 years ago. Hmm. We haven't put the price up. The economies of scale have kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, the more we did, the more we could afford to sort of take more people on. But the testing is getting, as I said, more and more varied. We're getting a longer list of things that we have to do. And it's getting very difficult to hold the price steady. I think it will go up soon. It is around about the £4,000 mark. I, I think in, in terms of dollars, that's going to be about four and a half, five thousand dollars 5000 That's what I'm budgeting. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have to travel to get here. You have mm-hmm. to stay in a hotel. We did actually create two patient houses locally with multiple occupancy and one shared kitchen. But I'm going to be really honest and say that that's just been too time-consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. became hoteliers. And that's a whole raft of other problems that we aren't trained for, we don't, we didn't study for, so we don't want to do that anymore. And whilst we were preparing the two houses, two hotel chains sprang up between the houses and the clinic. Oh, so we have a travel lodge and a premier inn. Oh, good on our doorstep. So it's like, oh, why did we do that? Okay. Um, so we've sold one of the patient houses, and the other one is, is in preparation for sale because we want to, f- to focus on our, our core function, mm-hmm. which is looking after mm-hmm. patients. 
not looking after broken toilet seats and gas boilers that won't come on and noisy neighbors and <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> no that's not that's not what you're trained no, for we're here for <laughs> no i've read a lot of research about fmt great and one of the things that i was really excited about if alzheimer's is an age-related disease Okay, if we can slow the process of aging, mm -hmm. then you can help prevent some of these age-related diseases. Yes. So with a fecal microbiota transplant, the research is now showing that if you get poop from a young person, you then will exhibit in your eyes and in other places in your body, mm. a younger you. Yeah. If you get poop from an older person, it's going to age you. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember writing to your receptionist and saying, um, how old are those donors? <laughs> and it looks like for me, all the donors are going to be younger. This will help my biological age. It'll help keep me younger and prevent age-related disease, right? I totally believe so. We have a cutoff of 55 for donors. In fact, I think um, okay. we were actually talking about cutting it off at 50. But certainly um, it depends on the individual because you'd get very habitual as you get older i don't know I, this is a generalization but all the people going shopping will go through the same aisles in the supermarket and pick up the same foods mm -hmm. and their choices tend to get narrower especially if their income is compromised then they wouldn't be a donor we we select donors for people who can afford to make um good choices they can afford organic foods they can afford to go to the best supermarkets um, but as you get older, your your choices tend to narrow. So, um, but yes, there were some mice studies. I don't know if you've read that one where they have, um, they, they breed sterile mice. Mm -hmm. And from the same litter, they froze some embryos. And one litter, they were predisposed to developing Alzheimer's. I don't know how they do that, but they predisposed this litter. So they, they let one, one litter be gestated and be born. And they were matured to the point they were showing signs of Alzheimer's. And then they, they took out the freezer, the other ones. And when they were still young, they took fecal matter from the young ones and gave it to the older ones and the Alzheimer's started to recede. Mm -hmm. So it was indicating that there's something about the youth, that the younger mice were actually giving some kind of protection. So you can imagine that that's an absolute gold pot of reward for somebody who can do some tangible studies to show that that's actually relatable to humans. Mm -hmm. I know there's a study going on in, in Austin, in Texas, on Alzheimer's for that very reason. There's studies going on for obesity, if you can actually find something. And there's been various speculation about Kristen Sonella minutai being the species that's present in skinny people and absent in obese people. Mm -hmm. But is it causal? We don't know. So there's a lot, there's a lot of rainbows with pots of gold at the end. And there's a rainbow of obesity, there's a rainbow of Alzheimer's, there's a rainbow of Parkinson's. These things are plaguing our population. So if we can find a way to resolve them, it's going to be extremely popular. So how quickly are we going to have that information? What, what's the timeline on some of these studies? So that you can say, you know what, FMT helps Parkinson's. You bet it does because of this research. And now I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, um, COVID interrupted everything. Will it be a year? Or? Um, what we found is it takes between 10 and 15 years for medical science to actually admit that something is a valuable fact. If you go back to the doctors who were working on H. pylori, um, he found that there was a bacterium, H. helicobacter pylori, that was causing Julian ulcers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't being listened to, but he ended up taking a drink that was a solution of this particular isolated bacterium and giving himself an ulcer. 
which he then resolved with his three-pronged treatment, which was bisodol mm. and a particular antibiotic, another substance. So he had the cure and he demonstrated the disease. It still took over 10 years to accept that, yes, he had identified the cause of mm -hmm. duodenal ulcers and he had identified the, the resolution for it. So these trials that we talk about with using FMT for Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, they are going to be long-term trials. They're going to be sort of between two and five-year trials themselves. Mm -hmm. COVID interrupted everything, so add another two mm -hmm. or three years for that. And then add 10 years for it to be accepted. So we're talking 15 to 18 years before anything will be in, in the public awareness. It's frustrating, I know. But we've been doing this for 10 years. And all we've got so far is an acknowledgement that mm -hmm. Posterior difficile responds. It does so much more than that, but they're just not ready to open their minds. But it's important for someone my age, yeah. possibly, to consider jumping on this now, even though the research has not come fully around. Yeah, well, I would. Mm -hmm. And I do. I mean, I, I, I do avail myself of my own mm -hmm. medicine. Mm -hmm. If we're ever given antibiotics for anything, mm -hmm. maybe it's an ear infection or, or you have a cut. I mean, my husband, he was such a great example. We were cavorting around in the waves in New Zealand playing bodyboards, and we should have known better at our age. But he stepped into a hole under the water that he couldn't see, and he ripped his Achilles tendon. Ooh. Yes, it was pretty nasty. Oh, and then painful. by the time he got back to England and had it operated on, he was practically dissected from the knee to the ankle. It was an extensive surgery. And the blood supply to the skin around the heel is very, very mm -hmm. poor. So it was, it was a long time healing. And he got the typical redness and goldish sort of cover of Staphylococcus aureus infection. So he went to the doctor and said, I've got Staph aureus. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a very know-all patient. Anyway, so he was telling the, the doctor, I need some antibiotics for this. So he was given something pretty heavy duty. Mm -hmm. He had stored his own feces ahead of this. Really? Because we've got the facility, so he did it. And then he had the antibiotics. And, you know, towards the end of the antibiotics, he was really horrible. I mean, I'm a devoted wife, but there are times I just wanted to hit him over the head. He was so disagreeable, so miserable. He just wasn't the man I married. He was really changed. And he stuck his tongue out, and it was black, Ooh. like he'd been eating licorice. It had actually formed this black, furry coating. I just couldn't believe that was just antibiotics. But anyway, he finished the antibiotic course. He got his implant mm -hmm. back from his own broad feces. Mm -hmm. And about five o'clock one evening, he did the implant. Now, he says he felt different at bedtime. But I just noticed that the next morning, he woke up. He was my husband again. Thank God. Mr. Nasty had left. <laughs> Mr. Nice was wow. back. And I noticed a difference in his temperament and his mood and his, his mm -hmm. depression and his emotions immediately that morning. His tongue was pink again. So overnight it had resolved. Now he's got photographs of this black tongue because it had to be seen to be believed. So the biofilm from his mouth mm -hmm. had been affected by the faecal implant in the other end of the system. And within 12 hours it had, had normalized. So we don't quite know what the mechanism is. Does the conversation between your immune system and the new incoming bacteria across the membranes of your gut, does that go systemically and then affect everywhere? Or does it travel through the biofilm very, very rapidly through the whole digestive tract? We don't really know. But there was another really good example of this. We had a lovely girl from actually from America, beautiful looking girl. And she was one of the videos that we had on our website that we had to take down. Beautiful white teeth. She came to us for digestive disturbance. And she said that 
Incidentally, every six weeks I get a green film growing on my teeth. And should I've tried every home tooth polish and everything I can think of, but the only thing that shifts it is going to my dental surgeon and getting a scale and polish. Ow. So she was doing that every two months. So she was kind of like due for that to recur when she was with us. She said, I was a bit nervous coming to England at that time, but I thought, well, you might have dentists as well. <laughs> but during the FMT procedure and the two weeks, this green film on her teeth, and we know it's Streptococcus viridans, it just did not recur. And in the video she's made for us, she has a beautiful face and these lovely white teeth, and she just doesn't go back for mm. the scale and polish anymore. So again, was that traveling through the, the biofilm to get to her mouth, or was it going through the body mm -hmm. and coming through systemically? Mm -hmm. We just don't know. There's so many things we don't know, but we're delighted when, it, when these things happen, of course. I was reading that, that people like me who have trouble with their gut have trouble eating out and they start eating more and more and more at home, which I do. I get sick almost every time I go out to eat. Well, yeah. I'm so hopeful that getting a better gut flora will help me be yeah. able to occasionally go out to eat novel concept. My husband will love it. He's he loves to eat out instead of home cooking all the time. Well, you're in California. You're the home of the raw foodies. You should be able to get some really good restaurants. I mean, I would say go for organic absolutely go for organic yeah and i do the word yeah. restaurant yeah. covers from the the sinful to the the amazing and sometimes i despair mm -hmm. i mean i went to a restaurant the other day it was supposed to be south african theme and there wasn't a salad on the menu not a single salad hmm. i ended up having a side of coleslaw and some halloumi fries and that wasn't very raw so it's difficult but if you find a restaurant that you trust that the quality of the food is good and the, the source of it is organic, then yes, you should mm -hmm. be able to tolerate a wider diversity, which is the whole point, isn't it? The diversity. Of... Mm -hmm. I can't wait. So, I mean, I wouldn't recommend that you try and go to fast food joints. No. Um, I won't mention them. No, I don't do that. No, I, I get into trouble if I mention brand names, but don't go to fast food joints and expect to have a good experience because your body won't, won't tolerate mm -hmm. it. But if, you're, mm -hmm. if your microbiome is balanced which is hopefully what we achieve in the 10 days. Excellent. You should be able to tolerate a wider variety of good quality, mm -hmm. safe foods. And I say safe as opposed to preservative ridden and, and processed. So that's the whole point. We, just, we do see a lot of people who say, I'm down to the three foods that I tolerate. There was an extreme one. We had a very nice young man who came with his father. He was probably about 23. And he could only eat white rice. He'd been eating white rice for four years. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, just white rice. And he was the colour of white rice. He had blonde hair, as it happened. But he also had a very, very white pallor. He was um, he was like a little ghost. During the first week, we just proceeded as normal. Um, by the Friday, mm -hmm. the father said, he's beginning to say he's hungry. What shall I do over the weekend? Because you have a break over the weekend. And we said, well, we'll just proceed really slowly. Let him have one or two foods to try and then see if there's any reaction. So one or two foods at a time. So Monday morning came. And they came sort of bouncing in. He had much more energy about him. And the father looked really sheepish. He looked really sort of, you know, uncomfortable. And we said, what's wrong? Something's changed here. Oh, no. He said, yeah, you said go slowly. But it was like he had four years worth of hunger suddenly burst. He said, I took him to a restaurant and I couldn't stop him from ordering so many different things. And he ate every single one and he's been fine. And this young man, he had roses in his cheeks he had a sparkle in his eye 
and mm -hmm. the energy from him. Now, these are non-clinical observations. <laughs> I don't have a form to fill in to say what I've observed. You know, cheeky <laughs> isn't a clinical presentation. Sense of humor isn't. But he just he just seemed to be present. It's like he, he it's like he came into the clinic sketched in pastels, and suddenly he was in in multicolor oils. He had just come back to himself. Oh, how beautiful! What a great story. He was lovely, and we we call him White Rice Boy, and it was one of our favorite stories. And yeah, he was back to normal. He was a little ghost when he came in, and suddenly he was a twenty three year old, full blooded, cheeky young man when he went home. Absolute delight. Great story. Dr. Taylor, <laughs> this has been wonderful. <laughs> it's a very rewarding space to be in. I can tell. When it works really well like that, it's so gratifying. And people say to us, you know, not only have you made my husband well, but you've you've returned me to being his wife from being his carer. Oh, oh. Ooh, that's a subtle but very, very powerful shift, isn't it? Very. Yeah. You're changing lives by just giving people back to themselves. It's just lovely. And it's such a simple thing. Isn't it? We're just putting biology back into medicine. Thank you for the work you're doing. And I am so excited to meet you next month. I look forward to it. I look forward to it immensely. I um, mean, you're in the great hands with our staff. I mean, we have some very, very lovely staff. Um, and who are you? Uh, do you know who your therapist is yet? Not yet. Mm -mm. You haven't been assigned one yet. Mm -mm. I think sometimes the, 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 the things shift around a bit. But yes, we've got some really dedicated and passionate staff. I mean, you have to be passionate about poo to do what we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't be in this space unless you really have a vision of what it does. <laughs> oh, Dr. Taylor, thank you very much. Very welcome. You have a great day, okay? And you. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you for listening and letting me go on and on. <laughs> oh, it was delightful. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast, created and hosted by Jane Rogers. The website is cuttingedgehealth.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and would very much appreciate your writing a review. They help a lot and we read each one. Any information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. The comments expressed are not medical advice. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. This podcast and Jane Rogers disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of any information presented. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.